idea where the Lord wants to go. It's be interesting to see what the Lord wants to say. First Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Anybody just really screwed up this week? I did. Maybe not majorly, but definitely consistently. <laughs> I'm so glad that people love me in spite of that. I'm so glad that my wife, my kids, you guys love me in spite of not being perfect. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And you guys do that. You give of yourselves again and again and again. You serve and you pour out. And you probably feel like grumbling, but I've not heard it from you. It's beautiful. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. I think about that because I speak. That's what I do. You know, and that's, that's heavy to read that. That whatever I'm speaking, I carry the weight of it being an oracle of God. You know, I, I, want, I want that. I want to, for my words here, even now, to be from the heart of the Father to you. And those of you that, you know, have prophetic gifts or teaching gifts, I know you carry that same weight. Our words matter. What we say matters. One who serves by the strength that God supplies. Thank you for those of you that give and serve. Della, thank you for cleaning up and doing what none of us really want to do. You do it consistently. In order that everything in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But here's where I'm going with this. Verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And I know Chuck mentioned that a little bit earlier. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling just sort of like the, maybe it's just the weight of life and the fatigue of life. Anybody else feeling that? Just like tired. Maybe fatigue leads to discouragement. Maybe discouragement, if we're not careful, leads to despair. I sense that, you know, we as a church, we've been running and running and running for the last year, but even since we started in October and just, you know, a lot of things to do. And then coming over here to 301 Harvard, there's just so many things to do, decisions to be made and buildings to be managed and teams to be coordinated. And in the midst of all of that still, you know, in the midst of all of those Martha activities, still knowing we got to be merry sometimes. We got to sit at the feet of Jesus and just soak and just be there and heal, you know, and even in all of that stuff, we are still in a culture and in a world where we have an enemy who is pushing in against us. You know. And Peter says, but look what he calls us beloved. I read that. I just want to stop there for a minute. God loves us. The Father loves us so deeply. And it's not because we do all of the things that I just mentioned. He loves us because we're sons. He loves you because you're a daughter. He loves you because you're a son. He loves you because you, church, are a bride bought with his own blood. And his heart is affection towards you. Radical, overflowing, never-ending affection towards you every moment of the day without end. He doesn't get tired like you do of your husband and wife sometimes. He doesn't get annoyed like we do of our children, you know? His love is just never-ending. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I feel that way. I feel like sometimes I like wake up and say, God, why are all these things happening? Why aren't, why aren't things easy, you know? Why can't things just be easy? Peter says, don't be surprised. This is nothing strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. It's beautiful. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't stand back and say, okay, all, all of my followers, 
you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask something of you to see if you're really worthy. I want to see if you're really willing to suffer out there. And then if you're really worthy, then you can join me in my glory. This is his suffering. He led the way in this. He was like the poster child of being persecuted and suffering unjustly. But Peter says, rejoice, celebrate that we can share in that. That we're worthy of that. We're worthy. Jesus thinks we're worthy enough. He thinks enough of us to say, guys, I believe in you enough that we're going to go through some tough times together. We're going to go through some difficult times together, even financially, relationally, at work, at school, wherever they are. I believe in you enough, son and daughter. We're going to go through this together. Rejoice that you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's going to happen. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are fortunate. You are to be revered. You've heard about the persecuted church, I'm sure, places around the world that it's not just unpopular to be a Christian, it's just flat out against the law. China being one of those, really, to be a, to be a follower, to be a devout, spirit-filled follower of Jesus, to worship in spirit and in truth will get you in a lot of trouble. And you know, They don't have the, the, quite the institutions and the freedoms for ministry that we do here. You know what they, you know what they consider ordination? You know what they consider seminary training? prison. You're not really qualified for ministry until you've been in prison for it for a while. That's heavy stuff. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. goes without saying. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Boy, wouldn't it be great if that wasn't in there? And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I want to skip a little bit into verse 5. And he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Casting, this is where I want you to listen to this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's hard to do that. Anybody just like, you feel you're just like, you're, you get riled up whenever somebody says, just stop worrying. You know, people say that, it's just like, you just, you just wanna punch them, you wanna punch them in the nose. It's like, if I could stop worrying, I would. Obviously, it's not a choice. It's the whole nature of worries that kind of comes upon you. You know, you don't want to do it, but you find yourself turning over and over again. And this is, this is an act of the will to cast your anxieties upon him. Sometimes the feelings aren't going to be there right away. Sometimes it's just the sheer volitional choice to say, Jesus, I have this anxiety. I have anxieties this morning about so many things. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried that they're making terrible choices. I'm worried that I'm not the parent that I need to be to help them make it. Jesus, I'm worried about my finances. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill or these bills that are due, or I don't know how I'm going to provide this, or I don't know how I'm going to pay for college or a new car or new clothes for my kids when, when, when this thing comes. I don't know how to take my kids on vacation. I don't know how to provide these things that I need. You know, Jesus, I'm worried about my, 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 my work situation. I can't keep up the pace that I'm going week after week after week. It's going to kill me. It's going to give me a heart attack. It's going to break me. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's just so many of these just out there. And I just sense that, you know, it, 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 sometimes it just takes an act of the will to say, Lord Jesus, all of these things here, I lay them at your feet. Even if I can't turn off the worry machine in my mind right now, as an act of faith, I take them and I just lay them at the foot of the cross. 
and recognize, God, I can't do anything about them right now. I can't fix them. I don't have the means to do anything about all of this. All it's going to do is just tear me up inside. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. This is what we do after we've done that, after we've laid down all of these anxieties and worries and situations. The Bible says we, we're, we're sober-minded. We're watchful. We're aware that we are under attack. We are aware that our, that our guard is being you know, assaulted. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sometimes it's in these situations of, of difficulty and pressure that we are the most vulnerable to attack. We're the most susceptible to making stupid decisions. And Peter says, focus, stay focused, be sober-minded, be aware that the enemy is coming at you, that everything that you think is just bad luck or bad circumstance really may not be that. You might be the victim of something coming against you just to destroy your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Resist him. Resist the temptation to do stupid things, to make bad decisions, to be angry at your husband or your wife or your kids or angry at God or angry at whoever else. Resist that temptation to do that. Stand firm in who God has called you to be and who you are as a son or a daughter, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Or I'll even say, the same kind of things are being experienced by your brothers and your sisters here in this church. You're not alone, whatever you're going through. You might think that your situation is so unique that no one in the world, no one else in the world has ever gone through that, that your situation is so bleak and so dark that you're just afraid to talk to somebody. You're gonna be surprised because sitting next to you are broken men and women too. Up on this stage are broken husbands and fathers dealing with our own stuff, you know? by God's grace, persevering by God's grace, overcoming, but still, we're still being assaulted just as you are. The person next to you, you don't know their pain unless you ask. They don't know your pain unless you share. And after you have suffered a little while, y'all, a little while, come on, it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. It's, it's, like those, it's like the last day of school, you know, when you're like in fourth grade and you're just watching the clock and it's just so slow. Like, come on. And the more you watch it, the slower it gets and you're just thinking this day's never going to end. <laughs> but it did. Those trials that you went through a year ago, they ended. You made it. It didn't kill you. didn't destroy you. That situation with your husband or your wife, with your kids, we're bent, but we're not broken. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, I love this. I want to probably read it 20 times. <laughs> the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. Anybody need to be restored? It's me. Confirm. Strengthen and establish you. Mm. Y'all stand up. We're going to do this here. We're going to pray for, we're going to pray for one another. I'm not going to have you like um, yeah, no, I am going to do this. It's okay. Y'all come to the front. We're going to do this. We don't do this very often, but we're going to circle hands and pray before I get into the Word. So um, come on up. We're just going to hold hands in a circle. I know it's weird, those of you that are new. Sorry, we're a weird church. We do this sometimes. <laughs> At least I'm not making you kiss and hug one another. Um, let's come on around. We don't do this very often. Don't worry. Keegan, Keegan will kiss me on the cheek. That's right. You can, I'll do it. I love it. I love it. These people that you're with next to you, these are your brothers and your sisters. They're fighting with you. They're standing with you. They're praying for you. This is your family. 
These are the ones that God, by his grace, has ordained to come together in this season, in this place. So if you've got, whatever you've got going on, let's just collectively, as an act of faith in our hearts, like throw it all in a pile right here. Can we do that? Just in our minds, in our hearts. We're just going to throw it there. I've got my own things. It'll take me a while. <laughs> in, you're, you're staying up there, man. You're going to be in spirit holding our hands. I got to have that. All right, fine. You guys make me feel bad. Come on, Brian. Come on down. Come on. Come on. That's right. I don't know how the Holy Spirit can move without that keys. I'll have to leave it up to him. We're just going to throw it in a pile here, all right? And then um, we're just going to take a minute to do that. We cast all of our anxiety upon him, all of our fatigue, all of our discouragement about things that have happened or not happened all of the relationships that are strained, all of the fears about the future financially, all of the frustrations about our kids and what they're doing or not doing or what we're doing or not doing as parents, about jobs, about school, about our health issues and our health and our well-being. Father, we just collectively, we just lay all of these down, Lord. It's just like a big old pile right here in the front of us. We look at, we're not big enough to carry this. It would take us forever to go through and just figure out each one. But Lord, I just see you in your strong arms. You just come with one hand and pick all of them up. I just see the strong hand of God reaching down. Your hand is as big as this room, and you just pick it all up in your hand, and you hold it close. And in your spirit, you give attention to each one. Even if we've never articulated to anyone else, your spirit knows it. And right now, your spirit is looking through each one of those and saying, I care about this. I care about this. I care about this. So Lord, take the weight off of your church in these situations so that we can be free to worship and to praise and to learn from you, to grow in grace, to love others. Father, we thank you for your love, Lord. And I thank you for these men that are here these fathers and fathers in the faith, I thank you for each one, Lord. They are strong and gentle at the same time. It's a reflection of who you are. Father, I just pray that you will help us be fathers in your image, that you will help us love as you love and to be strong when we need to be strong and to be tender when we need to be tender. Help us to fight for justice and truth and righteousness, but to lay down our own lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. All right, y'all go sit down. It's time to preach now. Yeah, that wasn't too weird. All right. I just, I've had that on my mind just so much. I know that we're all just so tired and discouraged, and I just feel like the Lord wants to say, you know, it's okay to acknowledge this and pray this through. So I got a little bit of time left. Um, I don't know how much I'll get through of this, but I, I just, I'm going to take the next three or four weeks and just preach through one verse. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but looking at Acts 3, 4, and 5, and just sort of the, the, the whole Pentecost season and what that might mean and um, what, we're, what I sense God is saying that we're empowered to do. And um, I, I'm more convinced than ever that Pentecost is not just, it's not just a, a, a catchword for a, you know, for a kind of church, Pentecostal church, you know. It's not just a, you know, a doctrine somewhere or a name on a sign. Um, it's not just another random holiday that only the weird charismatics think about. Um, it, it really is the, the, the summation of the plan that God has started from the very beginning. It's the full expression. It's really the reason that Jesus came um, and, and came upon the earth and lived and died and was resurrected so that Pentecost could happen. And the more I read through Scripture, the more I'm convinced that this is just worth it's worth coming back to and it's worth building our life on. It's worth just understanding more and more of like, God, what do you want? What do you want for your people? What do you, you know, what is all this stuff in the upper room in Acts 2? What does it really mean for us? Um, so I sensed earlier this week that, that, that God was saying that he, he wanted us to kind of walk through um, 
Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. We're not going to go verse by verse. I'm sorry, I'm, I, my ADD is too much for that. So it's, we may kind of hop over a little bit here and there. Um, but there's kind of four things that I sense God was saying that we are empowered to do. We are empowered to do as a church because of Pentecost. And we're looking at these four chapters. Um, we are empowered to do. And one of the, some of those are very obvious. For example, the power to heal that we're going to see in, in chapter 3. Um, Pentecost gives the church the power to do that. Every church um, and every culture all through the history of, of you know, where we are today has had that power and that authority to do healing in Jesus' name. And there's some things, obviously, that, you know, some qualifiers about that. You know, we don't have unlimited power to do whatever we want whenever we want to. We're still sort of, sort of learning all of this, but <clears throat> that's one of the things. Um, and another one is, is something that I just, I just read about, is that we are empowered to suffer. And we don't think about that. I don't like that, you know. I don't, I don't want to dwell upon that idea of suffering and being persecuted. But in the first four chapters, five chapters of Acts, it's there. There's a, there's a strong element that when the Holy Spirit comes, a byproduct of that is going to be we find ourselves in difficult situations. And God is going to give us the power to endure suffering. It's going to give us the power to endure persecution. So we, we, we may spend a week talking about that. But really, the first week is this. We are empowered to proclaim, to proclaim. So um, I just want to read a little bit from Acts 2 and kind of go from there. And then I want to jump back to, to the Old Testament. And then, I don't know, if I feel like it's one of those gliders that you have when you're a kid. You can throw it, but you have no idea where it's going to land. So... Um, We'll see what happens. But let's read this together in Acts um, chapter 2. Um, I don't even know what's on the screen behind me. I, I think I stuck it in there, but I'm not sure which one it is. Maybe it's... Um, uh, I'll just begin reading at the beginning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I want you to listen to the imagery, and I want you to listen to sort of like from a sensory perspective what's happening, because it's, it's going to make a difference. There came from heaven a, a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the en entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, men, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, so the sound of their talking, speaking in these tongues, at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And it goes on to talk about all the different languages that they heard collectively all at the same time. It's like if we were in here and every single one of us was speaking a different dialect of a nationality around the world all at the same time, and it was loud enough where the neighbors in our neighborhood would come in and they would just like, what in the world is going? What is, what's going on? It's astonishing. Uh, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to, to one another, what does this mean? It's a good question. What does it mean? And uh, tongues is kind of one of those like hot topics. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a troublesome topic for many people in churches, you know, and a lot of division in churches as well. And kind of the more I read through the New Testament and Acts and the Gospels, um, it seems very clear that there's sort of two different kinds of tongues, two different kinds of expressions. And this is sort of the first time that we see this. And this is really just, it's not a prayer language. That's kind of another expression. This is just simply the supernatural ability to speak a language that's not your native tongue. So these, this is not prayer language that they're speaking. This is not the Corinthians, you know, um, 12, 13, 14 kind of stuff. This is just a unique, like everybody can all of a sudden speak languages that you didn't learn on, on Rosetta Stone or Duolingo or one of those other kind of things, right? The prayer language, that, that kind of is introduced later on, but this is just everybody speaking languages they didn't know. What does this mean? And one of the things that we know is that, is, is that sort of Acts, Acts Pentecost, the Pentecost in Acts is, all, is sort of an undoing of a lot of the problems of the past, and if you go back to Genesis to the Tower of Babel, what do you know about the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel was is sort of this um, humanistic attempt 
to exalt ourselves. And you can go and read it. We're not going to read it right now in Genesis, but we're, we're the, the, these people who are sort of exalting themselves and exalting humanism had built this tower leading up to the heavens, you know. Um, and God, God comes, and his response to that is, I'm going to scatter their languages. I'm going to cause there to be confusion. There was one language before. Because of their sin, God says, no, you're going to lose this ability to really communicate. You're going to lose the ability to come together and to boldly proclaim whatever is in your sinful hearts. So all of a sudden, in a moment, they lost that ability to see, to understand one another. And they're sort of going on, and that's where we get Babel, you know, the babbling on and on and on. That's kind of where that, and the, the, the city of Babylon is sort of all from the same root. You know, so that's sort of been the scope of human history until Pentecost, and Pentecost comes and they just, the, the Holy Spirit just undoes that. It's like, I'm going to restore this unity in proclaiming truth again. So they say, what does this mean? Others say they're filled with new wine. In other words, they've been drinking. The new wine was like high, really nice and you know, high proof. Been drinking. But Peter, verse 14, Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock. Peter says, guys, no, no one has been drinking. It's the morning. And he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins this sermon, begins this long proclamation in the hearing of all of the people there, unpacking sort of the promise of the Father. He says, this is what was prophesied in Joel, and he begins to unpack that. I want to pause here, though, and go back to verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire, house, the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one. And that's kind of, I'm just going to leave these off. I don't need to see you. It's okay, too much. That's, 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 that, that, that's sort of this, it is unusual. It's bizarre to kind of have this like, you know, wind coming through and these tongues of fire. And it says, you know, were they, was it really like a flame above your head or was it just something else? You know, kind of like a flame or what did it look like and all this. And, you know, we've kind of troubled a lot over that. Keep in mind that this is the day of Pentecost. This is a holiday for the Jewish people. They know what today signifies. And Pentecost was not a new holiday. Pentecost goes all the way back to the very beginning where they celebrating the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. This is 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Jesus died as Pentecost in the upper room. If we, if we zero, if we rewind all the way back to the Old Testament, we're going to go there right here in Exodus chapter 19. Passover celebrates the, the leaving out of Exodus, right? The, 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 the angel passes over the door because the blood is there, and they make their way out through the Red Sea into the desert. 50 days from the time the angel is passed over, they are now at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, God is about to give his law. And that day is Pentecost. So there's a, there's a first giving of the law, and there's a second giving of the law. There's a first encounter with God's people in power, and we're going to read about this. There's a second one that we just read in Acts chapter 2. So let's flip over here to, to Exodus chapter 19. Let me just read a little bit, uh, beginning in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. I want to say that again. There Israel camped in the before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So where is God? God is up here. God is on the mountain. The people are down here. God is in this holy mountain. Lord called to him out of the mountain to Moses saying, this is what you're to tell the people of Judah. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, obey my voice and keep my covenant, in other words, follow the law. Can they do it? No. 
Do they want to and do they mean well at this particular moment? Yes, they do. But God says, if you can do this, if you can walk in faithfulness with me, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Verse 7, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It sounds great. We like it. Sure, we'd love to be your treasured possession. We'd love to be the one that you've chosen out of all the nations of the earth. We like the sound of this. Sure, keep your law. You bet. We can do it. Thumbs up. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Skip to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, listen to this, and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And we're meant to see a contrast now in Acts 2 between the first Pentecost and this final Pentecost. There's some similarities. When God shows up there's a whole lot of signs and wonders. There's fire. There's trembling. There's noise. In both cases, because God is showing up in power to his people. But in the first one, this is a major difference. In the first Pentecost, God is up there. And we are down here. And only the very best of us get to tread up that mountain. The rest of us, we're not worthy. We're going to have to sort of like take, you know, stand far back. We can't be in God's presence. We can't hear what he says. We'll be consumed by the smoke. We'll be consumed by the fire. Only the best of us get to go up. In the second Pentecost, there's a major shift. God's no longer up there. God's down here. The mountain has come down. The God on the mountain has come down into this room where we are. And in the first Pentecost, God gives words to one. He gives words to Moses only. And, and you can read on in, in, in Exodus 20, you know, he gives the law. Moses has to write down all these things and bring it to the people and say people. But in Acts chapter 2, it's a lot different. All of a sudden, there's not just one person who is getting the Holy Spirit, you know? Every, all of them are. All of them are seeing this. All of them are receiving this manifestation of God. All of them are receiving the very presence of the God of the mountain inside their own hearts. And they're responding in ways that they never could have imagined. All of a sudden, it's not one person now speaking. They're all speaking the oracles of God. They're all proclaiming who God is and what his law means. Moses had it, he, you know, he, he alone was the one who had that privilege now, according to Joel, just like Joel prophesied, the Spirit is going to be given to every single person who, who, who you know, not every single person, but everyone who, who is before the Lord in repentance and humility and receiving. He says, and Joel says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and they have just witnessed this. And so, you know, so, so they're kind of coming out of this room, and all of a sudden, they're all then enabled to proclaim the heart of God. And that's, that's I guess I'm, I'm there today. That's where I'm thinking about right now. You know, even before all, this, before all the healing and before all these other kind of things, it's like the very first thing that happens is this boldness to proclaim who God is and what he's done. So Peter gives this message and he goes on, you know, this is the Peter who just days before, days before was denying Jesus. Just days. This is not like years ago. This is like just, you know, a few short seasons before he was huddled over a little charcoal fire and this little slave girl comes up to him and accuses him of being a Galilean and he just turns red and 
dodges it and lies about it and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know this Jesus. I am not one of his followers. He does it three times. And now fast forward, all of a sudden, this is the Peter now who is standing up. The opposite of denying, he's like saying, guys, let me tell you, with boldness proclaiming. And he goes on and he, and he begins to, to, to preach this powerful message about who Jesus is. And boldness is a key word. I think the Lord, in, in his spirit, wants to do this for you and I as well. I think this is going to be a natural outcome. The more we press into the Holy Spirit, the more that we're going to find that even those of us who have been the most timid will have the most boldness in ministry. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to remove any sense of guilt right now from this equation. Anybody feel guilt, guilty or in the past have felt guilty because you're not evangelizing enough or you're not sharing your faith enough? I have. I have. By nature, I am not an extrovert. By nature, the thought of going up to strangers in the store and saying things terrifies me. Megan, not so much. <laughs> me, it's like, you know, I'll do good to talk to people that I know in the grocery store, yet alone people I don't know. Like, I, and I, for the longest time, I just I kind of have this crippling guilt that I'm not doing enough to evangelize and to proclaim the gospel. And I would carry this guilt around with me, like, I need to, come on, Easley, what's wrong with you? Why are you ashamed of Jesus? And I would, like, kind of force myself to do things, you know, and, like, say things and step out of my and, and there's a little bit of an element of truth in that. Jesus doesn't call us to always do what's comfortable and easy. Sometimes we are supposed to step out and do what's uncomfortable, regardless of our personality type. So with that disclaimer in mind, let me step back and say, remove the element of, of guilt from this whole discussion. Because at no point in Pentecost were they having a pep talk about how to go out and evangelize. At no point did Peter say, guys, okay, here are the four spiritual laws. All right, practice your 30-second testimony, which is good to have. You know, you're going to go to this quadrant. You're going to go to this quadrant. Come on, you can do it. Take a buddy with you so you don't get scared. At no point in Pentecost did any of that happen. There's a good place for training in evangelism. I like it. I think it's great to kind of have these. But none of that happened. In other words, boldness was not the outcome of pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying harder. Boldness was the outcome of being filled with the Holy Spirit and nothing else. If you want to be bold in ministry, the best way to do it is to ask the Lord for more of the Holy Spirit that brings about innate boldness inside of you. And it's not going to be the kind of boldness that like, you know, is, is contrary to who you are. It's going to be the kind of boldness that is uniquely you. And your boldness may look different than their boldness. You know, Chuck's boldness is going to be like up on a street corner, standing up on a milk carton with his finger in his Bible in his hand, right? But Heather's may not look that way. But it's going to be boldness all the same. Because it comes, it's an overflow of the, of the Spirit being inside of us. And he gives us three things, I believe this, about it when talking about boldness. He's going to give us the desire to speak and proclaim. Maybe not publicly like this, but we're going to find ourselves bubbling up with the oracles of God coming out. Even if it's one-on-one, -on -one, even if it's private conversations, even if it's with a friend or a colleague. We are going to find ourselves wanting to speak. Amen? I like that. That's what I want. I don't want to try harder and like, you know, like suffer through this. I want God to change my heart so that I want to do these things. That's the good news of Pentecost is what he does. He gives us the desire to speak. You know, I love this. You know, Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice. He says, I got something to say. And you're going to see this throughout. Peter's not the only one who has boldness. Many of them have boldness as well. He gives us the desire to speak. He also gives us the words to speak. He gives us the words. Peter didn't have this prepared. He, you know, I know he wasn't sitting two or three days before going, okay, when the Holy Spirit comes, I better have a good sermon prepared. I need to have a clever opening, heartwarming story about my week. I've got to have three good points i got to have some jokes in there for the right brain people. 
I've got to have a real compelling story at the end to draw the crowd in. There's no indication that he had anything when this happened. You know, so preparation has its place. It does. I do my best every week to prepare for this moment right here. Some weeks I do better than others. Some of you can attest to that. But ultimately, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Um, he says, have no fear of them, them being sort of the, 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 you know, the persecuting ones, the religious authorities that are going to be coming against you and I. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. No, that's not the right one. Never mind. I'm backing up. Here we go. Verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Yeah, only the men do that. It doesn't say beware of women. Women won't do that. <laughs> beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Our persecution is coming, it comes from within. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Man, anybody want to be dragged before a governor and a king? No, 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 no. We, no, we want to be before governors and kings, but we want to be treated as guests of honor. Don't drag us in. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles, when they deliver you over, when, not if, when they deliver you over, all right? Do not be anxious. We talked about the anxious again. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you well in advance. No, it doesn't say that. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Oh, that drives me crazy. Lord, come on. Please give me like a little bit of heads up. You know? For it is not you who speak but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So as much anxiety as some of you might have about these kind of conversations in the days to come, just take a big breath. It's not yours to worry about. Don't be anxious about it. God's going to give you the words. You're not the one speaking. God is. And even at the end of those conversations, you might look back and say, man, I totally blew it. It's amazing what God will cause someone else to hear. Right? That's a beautiful part about it. You got two parts of this equation when it comes to communication. God gets to control what I say, but God also gets to control what they hear. So even though I get up and even if I sort of stumble through it and blow through it and make a big mess, God still is on the other side of it though, filtering out what they're hearing. It's a beautiful thing. So we have boldness in proclamation because he gives us the desire to speak. He gives us the word to speak. And he ultimately is responsible for the impact of that speaking. He's going to do this. Go back to Acts 2. Peter finishes up his sermon. Verse 33, rather. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Verse 36, he ends his sermon this way. He would have failed homiletics class in seminary, by the way. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, that you and you and you crucified. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction, he would have said. Am I wrong, Brian? He would have failed preaching classes. You don't do that. You don't end this by like, you know, wagging a finger of condemnation at somebody. You end it softly. You end it with an invitation to come and receive all the Lord's goodness and grace. Not Peter, no. He says, let it be known, the one that you put on a cross, you and you and you and you, God has made him but Lord and Savior. Look at the outcome of that. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? What do we do? Guys, you're right. Peter, you're right. What have we done? Heartbroken. What have we done? We have been, been, been culpable in this death of the very Son of God. What have we done? Peter, tell us. What do we do? They were cut to the heart. It's beautiful. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And good observant Jews, by the way, aren't baptized. They don't need to be. His audience, they're pure. They're God's people. Gentiles can be baptized into the faith, but not Jews. Peter stands up and says, no, repent. You go under the water. You die to yourself and come alive again, and you'll be saved. So when there's boldness in proclaiming, ultimately God is going to be responsible for whatever impact that's there. We don't have to manipulate it. I hope you don't feel like we do that here. Please come and tell me if you ever feel like we try to manipulate the situation. You know, just because I want Brian up here playing keys sometimes when I'm talking, I'm not trying to manipulate you, God forbid, no. God is responsible for whatever impact he wants to do. And it's it's often, especially when the, when the Spirit is moving through us and we're stepping out in obedience, it's incredible what he's going to do. Well, that, that's all I've got of those things. Um, the very first thing out of the gate is, is we are empowered to proclaim. We are empowered to proclaim. We talked a little bit about, I was at the same event that Brian was, and one of our, one of our state pastors was talking, to, sort of ministering to us, was preaching a message on preach the gospel, you know, and um, there was a saying, I think, from, I don't know, was it Francis Assisi or somebody that says, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You guys ever seen that? And it's kind of become like this postmodern millennial thing for, you know, just do good things and people will see by your example how much, how great God is. In reality, that, that, that's, you can't do that. The, pro, the, the gospel does require words. Live a good life, by all means. Be an example, by all means. But when you preach the gospel, it requires words. It requires you to say things about who God is and what he wants for the people that you're speaking to. But let me just, I, want to, I just want to lift a little bit of the weight off of you. This is not a wag my finger and shame on you and do better. No, this, all this is, look, let's just press in to the place where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Let's find ourselves being filled with boldness. I want to pray that over you this morning. I want to pray boldness over you. Brian, you can come on up. We're done here. Um, I want to pray that over you this morning. And, it's, and this is not about, again, it's not about all of us need to be Peters. We don't need to be that. Peter was one of 11. And the other 10 had their own unique opportunities to proclaim in boldness. And the same is going to be true for us. You may be terrified at the thought of being up here, speaking this way, but God's got his own unique ways for you to find joy and desire in proclaiming. So I want to pray that for you, if you'd stand up together, and then we're going to do some ministry here at the end. Thanks for bearing with me. We're, we're a little bit over. Um... Yeah, that's, that's all I can say is just let's, we're empowered. We're empowered for great things. We're going to discover we're going to be empowered to heal. Many of you are. We'll look at that next week. We're empowered to, to share and to give generously and sacrificially. That's where the Acts 4, the end of 4 and 5 are. We're empowered, empowered to, to suffer joyfully. But right now, it's we're empowered to proclaim with boldness. Ask the Lord, if you've got a fear of this, if you've got a fear of speaking your faith, sharing your faith, connecting with any with someone else, strangers, it's okay to admit that. It's okay to say, God, I'm terrified of this. Ask the Lord. So, Lord, give me a desire. God's not going to kick you out of the window of the airplane. He'll jump with you, but... He'll challenge you and he'll bring you along. Ask him. Ask him for boldness. Ask him for that desire. 
Let me get, read some words of knowledge, too, that we have for our people this morning. We've got six of these. Some are pretty specific. Um, first is, I, the Lord says, I'm claiming someone for myself. Do not fear, but believe me and walk forward. Maybe that language connects with what you've been sensing or hearing. Number two, I'm healing someone of pancreatic disease. If you have pancreatic disease or if you have someone that you know, you want to stand in behalf of them, we want to pray for that this morning up at the front. Um, number three, a septic hip. I do not know what that is. But if you have it, I bet you do know. Uh, four, collarbone injury. Number five, I'll restore what's been lost to someone. A tragedy will lead into joy. And number six, I'm healing someone, someone of prostate cancer. Prostate cancer. So again, yourself, someone else, we want to pray for you. All right, let's lift our hands up, church. Lord, we receive your Holy Spirit this morning. Fill us afresh, fill us anew, fill us again. We want a fresh measure today. We want a fresh measure of love and joy and encouragement. We want a fresh measure of boldness to proclaim. So Lord, we just receive it right now as your sons and daughters receiving good gifts from our Father. We receive your Holy Spirit. We receive your words, your promises. So Lord, all that you want to do in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing here. Brian's going to lead us, and we're going to... Um, if, you want, if, you, if we can pray for you, um, we'll have several of us over on this side that will be glad and lay hands and pray for you if you have a specific need or something that we can lift up. If you just want to be by the Lord and worship up here, this is the no-bother zone on this side. If you're up here on this side, we're not going to bother you. If you're on this side, we're going to bother you in love. All right. After we sing the song, you're free to go. If you need to go now, of course, you're free to go at any time as well. We just ask that you go in grace and go quietly and keep the atmosphere here in. So, but we'll officially sort of dismiss after we sing this together. So let's just worship, all right?